Thank you for joining in for this City Lights Church podcast. We're a new church in the north of Brisbane, and you can find out more about us at www.citylights.community. We hope that this podcast encourages you in your journey of following Jesus. So today we're continuing our series, which is called Upside Down Kingdom. And I want to talk to you about one of the biggest wine traders in America in the early 2000s, a guy by the name of uh, Rudy Kerwain. And uh, he kind of burst onto the scene in the early 2000s in LA, around the time of the tech boom in Silicon Valley. So he was a very charismatic guy and he came on lots of money and he used to uh, deal wine and he used to throw these big parties and sometimes at these parties they would consume about $200,000 worth of fine wine. So uh, Rudy, he developed a uh, reputation for uh, trading in wine. He was very active in auctions and he also began to specialize in French burgundies. So if you know anything about wine, uh, there is a, uh, a particular vineyard that goes has its origins back to the 1600s and uh, it is called uh, Domaine del Roman a Conti. And so he was uh, an expert in this type of wine and he used to buy and sell this wine. In fact, he held the record for the most wine of this type ever bought in a single auction. It was $24.7 million worth of wine in a single purchase. Now, there was one problem, and that was he was a fraud. And so what he was doing, as well as buying and selling these proper bottles, he was putting labels on his own contents. And it's estimated that he uh, made about $800 million worth of this. Now, the timing was right. He was in the midst of this uh, culture and this time where uh, there was too much money going on or all these executives in Silicon Valley, Valley were making millions and millions of dollars off Facebook and Google. And so this was all happening at that time. But he was a fraud and he was creating his own contents. He was taking labels, some of which were authentic and some of which he was creating himself and he was putting his own wine in them. When it comes to Christianity, sometimes we have a label on the outside that says something, but it doesn't match the contents. Sometimes, and, and we all do this from time to time, we, we have this representation, but when push comes to shove, what is inside when it's poured out is not authentically Christian. It does not match the label. The contents do not match the label. Now, here's the thing. Here's our desire as we open up the Bible, our desire as we look at the Word of God and our desire is that we look at Jesus is that when we are poured out, what comes out of us 
is Jesus. What comes out of us is authentically Jesus. That we carry the label of Christianity. But when push comes to shove, when we're in our home, when we're under pressure, when we're in the workplace, when we're in our quiet time, that what comes out of us is Jesus, is the authentic Jesus. And you know what? You and I were never meant to create our own contents. We were never meant and never destined to fill ourselves. We were destined to be filled with the fullness of God. We were destined to allow the life of Christ to well up from within us in the Spirit of God so that we can be poured out. We were destined to be filled up with the full measure of God, the full measure of Christ, so that when we are poured out, it it tastes like Jesus. It's authentically Jesus. And so that's what we are going to talk about today. And here's the question. Do you aspire to live your whole life in an authentically Christian way? Because, you know, in our life we have aspirations, we have goals. Even if our goals is, goal is to do as very little as possible, that's still a goal. That's an aspiration. And we've got our dreams, we've got our goals, we've got our aspirations. Everybody has a powerful mental picture of the future. Just not everyone is aware that they have it. Or not everyone is intentional in shaping it. But everyone has a powerful mental picture of their future. Sometimes we can just put that on default and often it just becomes the the picture that our parents had or some kind of version of that or the the way that they live their life, or sometimes it just becomes uh, what we uh, hope to be in terms of how the world defines success in terms of career and family. But the question is, do you aspire to? Is it aspiration? Is your vision that you are hoping for, that you are looking to, is that to live an authentically Christian life? Is it to live authentically like Jesus? Sometimes we can say, okay, well, yeah, I want to live a good life and I hope to come to church when I can. And I hope to help people when I can. And I'm saying, like, that's okay. But really, something that is far greater and something that Jesus calls each and every one of us to is to say, I want to live my whole life in service to Jesus. I want to live my whole life in my workplace, in my study. I want to allow Jesus access to all areas of my life. And so if that is your aspiration, maybe if you haven't even thought about it, or you, you're not sure that how that would work, but if there's something within you that says, I want to live my whole life like Jesus, authentically Jesus, then this message is for you. Now, if you choose to say yes to this question, that you do want to do that, then what's going to happen is your perspective is going to change and it's going to broaden. And let me explain what I mean about that. If we're just living in the system of this world, in the culture of this world, this is two big questions that I find is common. 
the two most important questions of our culture that are coming up. What am I achieving and what's good for me? Would you agree? What am I achieving and what is good for me? And usually when push comes to shove and when we're under pressure, what do we do? We usually put our head down and we turn inward. We usually just say, hey, I, I've just got to look out for myself. I've got to look out for number one. I've got to look out for me and my own. And we start to shut down from having a vision of God, from having a vision of, of others. And we start to turn inward and look down and have a short-term focus on life. What am I achieving? And what is good for me? But here are some other questions that you'll start to bring in once you decide and make this decision to live in an authentically Jesus way. And the first question is, who am I becoming? Not just what am I doing, but who am I becoming? And how am I achieving? Our world has a transactional, so as long as I get to where I need to go, it doesn't matter how I get there. It doesn't matter who I hurt, who I, who I uh, step on, who I offend, it doesn't matter. You just, you do, but when you choose to live an authentic Jesus way, it's not just what you're achieving, but it's how you're achieving that. Number three, what does it matter? Number four, what is important? What is important? What is truly important? And the fifth is where am I going? And the biggest question around authentic Jesus living is that you're going to eternity. That this life is short, that the things and the cares and the worries of this world are probably not as important as you make them out, and they're not going to last as long as you think they are, definitely in season of life and also into eternity. So these are the broadening perspective. And so today we're talking about what does it mean to live in an authentic Jesus way? And I'm going to do part two of Jesus' teaching, the Beatitudes from the Sermon on the Mount. You can listen to the other half of this. It's on our podcast called Flip the Flow. And I want to say hello to anyone that's listening online right now. And so Jesus uh, begins to teach on the Sermon on the Mount. And when people are looking at Christianity, this teaching, they would say this is the most authentic teaching the most life-changing, culture-changing, culture-shaping teaching on the planet in the Beatitudes. This is it. And Jesus uses this word blessed. And blessed means what is approved by God, the things that God approves of, the ways that He approves of. What is authentically God? What is authentically Jesus? And so He uses this word. Now, this is really important. Because we know that God loves us unconditionally, but it's also important for us to know that whilst God loves us unconditionally, He does not always love what we do and how we do it. And if you're a parent, particularly, you know this, you love your, your kids unconditionally, but you do not always love what they do. Can I get an amen from parents? Amen. So we had a... Thank you. That's my dad there. And I love being his pastor. And he will, he will have a, a talking to afterwards on the way home. 
I'm doing this because I love you, Father. <laughs> anyway. And you know this. Like, I'll give you an example. So we've got two boys, and one of our boys went through this season where he would be playing when he was young, about two, three years old, where he would be playing with other kids, and then he would just pick up a car or a toy and just, like, hit them in the head. And it was probably like he was a bit oblivious and I want to tell you it was super stressful because we just had to like watch him like a hawk if he was with other people. One time we went on a a holiday with uh, my brother and his family and they have a, a boy that's like about nine months older and so we were there and he just started just like hitting him with the toys and it was like, I was like... My brother and his family, they are never going to go on holidays with us again. And so it was just like you just had to be on edge just trying to stop that. And we were away at this other place. So you, I don't know any parents that have done this with little kids. You have to use like chairs and other coffee tables to create little play pens in rented places. And so that's what we're doing. And it's stressful. So I loved him unconditionally, but I did not love what he did. And I did not approve of what he did. The same could be said about um, buildings. So again, my brother uh, is an engineer. And just because someone has built something and you like that person, it doesn't mean that that building is safe or has been well constructed. And this is what it means to be blessed. When God blesses something, he approves of it. He says, this is authentically mine. This belongs to me. This will last the test of time. And so that's what we are looking at. We are looking at that. And Jesus' way, we call it upside down kingdom because it defies logic. And it's countercultural and counterintuitive. So let's jump into it. And we're going to be looking at four signs that we are living an authentic kingdom life. Let's read this passage together. From Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 7 says this It says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And this is a good one. You're going to want this one. Blessed are those who are persecuted. We're going to talk about that. And we're going to talk about pain. Because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, Jesus obviously thought people are going to scratch their heads, so he's going to talk about it a little bit more, which is what he does. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So let's jump into this. The first one, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And this is the first sign that we are living an authentic kingdom life. The first sign is this. You use your power to help the hurting and the helpless. You use your power to help the hurting and the helpless. What's the difference between grace and mercy? Grace is for the undeserving And mercy is for those that need our help. For the miserable. Mercy is for the miserable. 
Mercy is for those that life is not going well for them. Mercy is for those that need someone to get alongside them. Now, sometimes when it comes to people who are a little down on their luck or a little miserable, sometimes it's easy to judge them and it's easy to point the finger and it's easy to say, well, they're a product of their own decisions. And it's easy to say, well, they've just made some bad choices that have led them to this particular situation. But the truth is, when we understand that all of us are in situations and all of us have made bad decisions and all of us need help, we have to have something in our heart that is authentically Jesus that says, if someone has fallen down, I need to lift them up. If someone is hurting, I've got a responsibility to do something and to help them to, uh, to, to help them in that. We recognize that we're in the same boat. Here's what the Apostle James says about authentic Christianity. It's one thing that he says. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. One of the things that Christians have been historically known for is the way that we have cared for the poor and the sick. And part of the reason for this is because this was totally countercultural. So Christians are responsible for the first proper hospital, okay, 300-bed hospital. It was constructed about 300 years after Jesus died. And so they're responsible for that. And this, the culture at that time, with the exception of uh, a group of Greeks, Greek physicians called the uh, Hippocratic Order, with that exception, people treated you poorly if you were sick, if you were hurting. And physicians and people, even though there were some kind of hospitals, they would have a dual role. One is I had a power to heal but also I've got a power to give life, but also I had a power for death. So you would come to somebody and you weren't, you weren't sure if they were going to say, I'm going to help you or I'm going to be the one that brings in your ultimate demise. And so the Christians of the early Roman Empire began to radically change attitudes around the care of the sick, the disabled, the dying. The poor were fed. They were given free burial. Orphans and widows were protected and provided for. Elderly men and women, prisoners, sick slaves and other outcasts, and especially the leprous, were cared for. And this is authentic Christianity that takes hold from the inside out based on a conviction that if I have power, if I have resources, that some of those power and resources needs to go beyond look, me looking out for myself and begin to help those around me that are hurting and can't help themselves. This is authentic Christianity. You know, as a church, we are committed to giving to those in need. We're committed to giving to missions and to care. 
Recently, we were with the floods, we were able to um, help those in uh, Mwilinbar and we helped some grassroots volunteer efforts. So your financial giving, if you gave uh, to our church, uh, we were able to provide fuel cans and diesel. There's some, uh, some of those uh, photos going up. Cleaning supplies, mold killer, rat poison and fly sprays. And so this is part of what it means to be authentically Christian, is that we go out of our way to help the hurting and the helpless. Here, let me give you three questions. Are you gentle or hard-nosed to the downtrodden? Are you helpful or callous towards those that have made bad decisions? Are you compassionate or impatient with those who have fallen? I think these are important things. That's the first one. You use your power to help the hurting and helpless. The second is this. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And the second sign is that you allow God to cleanse your desires and attitudes and thinking. See, purity of heart is never to be confused with outward conformity. It's never, even though we've talked about using power to help those that need help, there is something different that says, I have a responsibility to allow God into my heart to cleanse my desires, attitudes, and thinking. Now, for the Hebrews, the Hebrew heart is not just emotions, it's not just an organ, it is the center of. Our mind, will, desires, and emotions, it's the center of our being. It's the gravitational uh, force. And so uh, in Jesus talks about the power of the heart. He talks about it in Luke 11 and Matthew 15. And uh, here's a little bit of a life hack for parents. Do not let your kids read these scriptures um, because it talks about Jesus and his disciples not washing their hands before meals, okay? So I don't know where we're constantly, hey, have you washed your hands? No, I haven't. Oh, oh yeah, do I need to do that, Dad? Yes, you do. So don't just a side note there. I want to try and be as helpful as possible. But in Matthew chapter 15, verse 8, he says, Jesus says this: the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. So he hasn't washed his hands and they're saying, you're unclean. And he's saying, no, no, it's not about the hands. It's about the heart. He goes on to say, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony and slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. Here's what we know. The average person has 6,000 thoughts a day. 500 of those thoughts are unwanted and intrusive. 90 of those thoughts are unacceptable and unhealthy. And for the average person, you have 65 ugly and evil thoughts every day. What do we do with those? And do we allow Jesus to come in and God to come into the center of our being, our desires, what we really want? Do we allow him to come into our headspace? Do we allow him 
to cleanse our attitudes. And A.W. Tozer said this, if you would cultivate the Spirit's acquaintance, you must get hold of your thoughts and not allow your mind to be a wilderness in which every kind of unclean beast roams and bird flies. Now the question is, have you ever thought about the power of God to come and cleanse your heart and cleanse your thoughts? And will you allow him to do that? Will you allow him permission? Will you give him permission or are you holding on to those thoughts? Are you entertaining those thoughts? Are you making room? Are you making space for those evil things? No one would go out and say that of course but in the secret place in the quiet place sometimes we do we shelter them but God says I want you to be pure in your heart your desires your mind your attitudes so that's the first question will you allow God into that space maybe you've never thought about it before maybe this is new to you the second thing is how will you what is your process I want to give you one thing we have these journals up the back And in that, we have a simple model for prayer. Now, it's P-R-A-Y. I know you can't necessarily read that. The R stands for repentance. Here's what I want to encourage you, is to practice daily repentance, is to create a space in every part of your day where you say, hey, God, I had this thought. I don't want to hold on to it, even though I like it. I had this desire. God, I got this attitude. Would you come in? I give it to you. I change direction. I reject this thought. It's, a, it's something that you can do without being intense, but just part of your day. So I practice repentance because I'm like everybody else in the world. We have all kinds of thoughts, all kinds of desires, all kinds of thinking, all kinds of bad attitudes. And we need to allow the refreshing of the Spirit of God, the cleansing of the Spirit of God. We need to get that Holy Spirit gurney just to run that through our brains and our minds and our thinking. We need to elevate that. Here's another thing that I do as part of repentance. Hey, God, I'm, I'm not thinking right about this situation. I'm limiting my thinking. Hey, God, I'm limiting your ability to provide. Hey, God, I'm not thinking right about that person. I'm not thinking in the way that you would think about them. My thoughts don't match yours. So it's not just all about um, bad things that we're thinking. It's about elevating our thinking to the purity of God, to the life of God. So I want to encourage you to do that. We have those journals available also online under the resources page. Make that simple process part of of your day. You will feel lighter. You know what it says? Blessed are the pure in heart because they will see God. What clouds our image of God, what clouds our experience of God is the build-up of these things that we haven't dealt with them, but we need to allow the refreshing river of God to flow through. Here we go. Next one. Is this blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God? 
This is the third sign that you are living an authentic kingdom life, and it's this. You contend, which means you fight, to restore good in the midst of evil. Now, when the Bible uses the word peace, it's attached to the Jewish word shalom, which is not just about a peaceful feeling, but peace is active. There's an inward, upward and outward dimension of peace. And so when God says peace, he's speaking a word with power that wants to come from inside of you, that wants to connect with the power of God and wants to flow out of you. And God has called us to be peacemakers. Now, there are three things that are qualities of the peacemaker. The first is a peacemaker is honest about the status of true peace. The peacemaker doesn't play games. The peacemaker doesn't pretend that everything is all right when it's not. That's not peace. That's an illusion. You have to be honest about how things are going on. The second is this. You are willing to risk pain to pursue peace. There is a cost for being a peacemaker. And the third is the peacemaker is a fighter. Now, this sounds counterintuitive, but the peacemaker is a fighter. The peacemaker goes into a situation and wages peace. The peacemaker has a divinely aggressive spirit, meaning it says, I'm not going to settle for evil to reign. And some of you, God is speaking to you right in this moment, and there are situations where you are unsettled in a godly way, and God is stirring you up divinely to wage peace. Now, we do this in the starting in the supernatural by connecting with God, getting His heart for people. But I can tell there are people here, I could probably even point you out, but I'm not going to because uh, that would embarrass you. But God is moving, the Holy Spirit is moving on some of you to do this. You're in a situation when you're like, enough is enough. I need the true restoration. I need the true establishment of good over evil in this circumstance. And hey, there's going to be conflict. Hey, there's going to be a little bit of pain. But I'm going to press through to what God is doing. Jesus is the ultimate example of a peacemaker. Puts himself in the middle. In harm's way, Ephesians 2.14 says, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. That's the third sign. You can tend to restore good in the midst of evil. The last sign is this, and this is the most upside down statement. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Can we agree that this is a little strange? Because in our culture... We see the presence of pain as usually as a sign that something is wrong. Can I get an amen? Can I get agreement? If there is pain, 
It needs to be addressed. If there is pain, there is something wrong. And what happens, even in Christianity, is when there is pain present, people start to question God. Because we know that God is good. We know that He is loving. We know that He is peaceful. That is His nature and His character. And if those things are true, which they are, why have I got this pain? And particularly in this situation is that you're persecuted because of righteousness, number one, and because of Jesus. He says, because of righteousness, because of me. So because of what you're doing and also because of your association with the person of Jesus, the brand, the label the life that you've chosen to live. Now, some of us, even here right now, you are questioning God because you're like, God, I've done all the right things, but it's not working out for me. God, I've heard your voice. God, I am living out the scripture, but things are not working out for me. And some of you are struggling with this. And this is one of the ways that the Bible talks about how do we deal with pain and the presence of pain. You see, people never naturally see, success, see pain as part of something that is successful, right? So you start a new job. How was your new job? Everyone hated me. They swore at me. They egged my car at the end of the day. Oh, that's great. God really must be moving, right? No one says that. And if you do, you're probably a little weird, right? What about this? Poor little Johnny's going to his first day of school. How, how was it? It was wonderful. They teased me. They called me names. Someone even gave me a wedgie. That's not healthy. That we, we would never say that that is good. But Jesus, here's what he wants us to do. He wants us to see pain through the light of eternity. And actually, if we're honest, we do endure pain for a whole lot of things. We endure pain for people that we love. We overcome our short-term desires. Anyone who's exercised you would endure pain to get a result or to move forward in life. It's part of the process, but we have to see pain in the light of eternity. And that's what God has called you to do. Now, there is also pain for doing the wrong thing. Now, I would say in my career, I had a career in, in corporate before um, I went into ministry, and I was passed over promotions because I was immature and not really good at my job. And then I was also passed over a promotion because my boss told me that um, he, he wasn't going to promote me because I w wouldn't get drunk and go to strip clubs because I was in a sales environment, right? So only one of those had a blessing. The second one, because I was persecuted because of my association with Jesus and because I chose to live a righteous life. Can I tell you that after that meeting, I can remember, I felt so much peace. I felt so happy, even though I'd be told I, I didn't get, I was just like, if that's what it is, I don't want it anyway. Right. I'm going to invite Naomi back to the keys.
you see pain in the light of eternity. Pain is part of the process. Pain, the suffering of Jesus, is part of what it means to follow him as a disciple, is to endure. And strangely, only by the work of the Spirit, that's going to give some of you confidence. Here's a clear command, and we're almost done. There's a clear command of what to do if we're facing pain, if we're doing the right things, if we're honouring Jesus, but things aren't going well. In verse 12, it says, Rejoice and be glad. I want to say, if there's any of you that are struggling with this idea of pain and you're in the midst of pain and you would say, Andrew, the type of pain that I have is I'm doing the right thing. I'm seeking you. I'm searching for you. I'm living my whole life. Here's my question. Are you rejoicing? Are you being glad? Are you praising? Are you thanking God? This is part of the solution. This is part of what God has called you to do, both to endure pain, to overcome, to see the type of kingdom results, to see the type of impact that Jesus had in your life, but also to rejoice and be glad. Let's pray together. What I want to do is I want to pray Right now, ask everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes. And I want to pray specifically for anyone. And, and you're, you might even say that you're angry with God because you've been doing the right thing, but you're in pain. You've been doing the right thing, but you haven't seen the results. You haven't got to where you want to go. If that's you, I want to join my faith with you and I want to pray with you. Is there anyone here who might put their uh, hand up just to, res- just to respond in this moment? Yeah, see those hands. Is there anyone else? Say, hey, that's me. Things aren't going the way that I thought they would. I'm serving Jesus. I'm putting Him first. But it's not working out exactly that way. Jesus, I thank you all across this building. Lord, just for your amazing presence, just to flow, just to flow right now, just to flow right now. I'd love everyone to stand. We'll be done in just a couple of minutes. And my final invitation is just for as many of us that want to do this, myself included. If you want to reinforce your commitment to follow Jesus and just to say, Jesus, in every area of my life, I want to live authentically you. I don't know exactly what that looks like, but I, would, I want to allow your presence just to flow. Could we do that together as a church? I'm going to put my hand up as the first one. But if that's you, why don't you put your hands to heaven and why don't you begin to connect with Jesus and say, Jesus, I love you. I pray that you would fill me 
I pray that what is poured out of my life would be full of your presence, would be full of your love. I pray that when people see me in my workplace, when I'm around my kids, when I'm in my home, I pray that out of me would flow the presence and the life of Jesus Christ. God, we thank you. Lord, we thank you, God. Lord, we don't want just to do things on our own. We just want to create our own contents. Neither do we want to hide and just not represent you. But God, we want by your spirit and by your strength to allow your presence to flow upon us. And we thank you for that. In the name of Jesus. In the name. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about City Lights Church at www.citylights.community.